Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to the Avocado Toast Career Show, part of the Workforce Show. I'm Brendan Freehart. I'm joined today by Taylor Poindexter. Thank you for having me, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, did I say that right? Yeah, you said that right. Exactly. Taylor Poindexter. Okay, cool. Uh, so, Taylor, tell me a little bit about CrowdScout, just to begin with. So, currently I work for a small startup uh, called CrowdScout, and it's a data-driven marketing platform. So, it pretty much helps politicians and nonprofits better target their markets. Um, you know, right now there's a ton of data out there about people, and businesses are basically just trying to utilize that data to be able to figure out who their target markets are, mm-hmm. and that's what CrowdScout helps them do. And uh, in what capacity are you... Uh, working at CrowdScout. Currently, I work for them as a back-end engineer. Back-end engineer. Yeah, that's And right for time. the audience. Because I obviously know everything about back-end engineering. Yeah. We talked before. <laughs> Professional. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what does a back-end engineer typically rule over? So basically, uh, all of the data. We typically, the front end handles like the presentation and everything that you see as a user. And we write the algorithms in the back end to be able to massage the data into a digestible form so that you, the user, can see that in the front end. Yeah. And uh, in addition to that, you are a co-founder of the Black Code Collective. Yes, yeah, so that's Very a, that's a meetup that uh, my co-founders and I started about a year and a half ago, and it's basically a uh, safe space for developers of color to get together, network, learn from one another, and just come and vent whenever you need to. Cool, cool. Uh, okay, so we're gonna dig back into uh, a little bit, <laughs> bit into your background. Mm-hmm. So, can you take me through? Uh, you grew up in Virginia. Yep. Right. Um, and you went to UVA. Yep. What did you study at UVA? So at UVA, uh, originally I thought I wanted to be in marketing, uh, but then I transitioned to want to be a doctor, and then I ended okay. up doing computer science, and I'm very glad that I did that. This was all in the first year? This was like in the first three years, so I didn't decide that I wanted to be a computer science major until my third year when a family friend uh, approached me and asked me to take a computer science class. I'm like, no, dude, that's exactly what I don't want to do. You know, I've never done anything like that. I don't want to do it. Um, but he eventually convinced me to do so, and I loved it. Terrible at it. Loved it. <laughs> <laughs> do you consider yourself a, a, a great programmer? I feel like coming from being a med or a pre-med, that would be a pretty, a, a reasonably good transition, actually. It was, it was interesting. I feel like it gave me the analytical skills, but uh, I was definitely a terrible programmer now. Then I feel like I'm a better programmer now, Right. Um, but definitely not great. I feel like I'm learning stuff every day, which is great. If I wasn't, I probably wouldn't, of course. wouldn't stick with my, my curtain company. That's, <laughs> that's, that's good. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm laughing just because we're moving mics around right now. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so uh, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Okay. Uh, hot take, you don't have to answer. What do you think, like, between uh, getting a proper, like, comp sci degree versus people who get, like, the... Um, what do they call boot it? Camps? Yeah, boot camps, yeah. Because that's, like, pretty big now. Yeah. And I find that some kind of people get sort of siloed skills over here and... But the, generally, if you're smart, you can kind of figure stuff out. Totally. Why? 
don't want to put you in a controversial zone here, but yeah. Totally fine. Uh, my, my opinion on that is that I feel like so many people are getting the boot camp degrees um, that they need to make sure that they're differentiating themselves when they come out because employers see this. They see somebody that's getting into tech and they're not sure why they got into tech and they're mm. seeing people that may have good skills on the front end, but not really an understanding of the algorithms or other things that computer science degrees get. Um, so companies are questioning not only their passion, but also their, their full knowledge of of technology in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't necessarily have anything against boot camps, but I would say if you're going to take a boot camp, make sure that you've thought this out fully and you're able to not only um, finish the boot camp, but then also show a company that you have passion mm-hmm. so that you'll be willing to learn continuously because that's what being an engineer is going to take. Yeah. But then also in addition to that, make sure that you're able to understand those algorithms and other things that traditional computer science degrees give give uh, students. Yeah. I mean, at the Black Code Collective, does that? Uh, I almost kind of realized in hindsight, you've you've probably had to explain that before. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, a lot of people come to us um, pretty eager. I've actually heard people say like, "Oh, like I'm going to quit my job and go to the boot camp, and you know, then I'm going to make a lot of money and things That's are going to be great." Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> that passion. <laughs> That's definitely driving me passion. But uh, sometimes I feel like it needs to be a little bit more thought out. Like, yeah. Just don't 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 think that like it's because the people selling the boot camps make it seem very easy. You know, you'll you'll complete our boot camp and you'll you'll have six figure offers on the table next week, but it's not it's not that easy. Um there's plenty of people completing these boot camps and haven't had a job in a year uh, or more, um, and they really can't figure out why. So definitely, I hope you don't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think oh, I think they should know about those situations because obviously the people trying to sell you the boot camp aren't gonna tell you that. Probably. So yeah. um Definitely make sure you do your research and make sure that you have side projects and other things to show companies why they should hire you to differentiate differentiate you from the masses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So circling back, mm-hmm. uh, wonderful jargon phrase I picked up. Um, so <laughs> you you graduated computer science. Yep. What happened after that? So uh, I immediately started my career in IT consulting, and I did a bit of bouncing around there. I started as a .NET developer, and honestly, um, wow. yeah, <laughs> I honestly floundered it um, because like, consulting is pretty breakneck to begin with. But it was so much change so fast. You know, graduating from school, starting at my first client, it was a tough client even for more senior engineers. Um, so it was definitely a tough client for me as a fresh engineer with not really well, with not any or without any um, real-world experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up uh, shifting from .NET into automation testing, which was actually great for me. I was able to take a, um, a client from having single-digit test coverage to having uh, over 80% test coverage, which is great because this was something that was in production and clients were using constantly. Um, so that was good. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's you have like crazy attention to detail. <laughs> right, like so. Pretty solid. So you're you're going through unit tests yeah. and just being really, really rigorous about it. Yeah. And you inherited so legacy's .NET stuff. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, it was a it was a combination of legacy uh, mixed with like new functionality. So. Um, it wasn't the easiest code base for me to pick up, and that's probably why I didn't do such a great job. So that's why I kind of pivoted to automation testing. Yeah. Um, but then from there, and it, it ended up working out. I ended up really finding my grounding in automation testing. And as a software developer, I'm glad that I got that solid foundation in testing because it's essential. No matter oh, what yeah. No, now you're really, really set up. <laughs> yeah. you probably write really clean code yeah, or at yeah. least well-tested code. Yeah, well-tested <laughs> normally. Uh, I have a, just a boring question. We It's like we won't be able to cut it out. But is it Gherkin? Is that what you... Yeah, I used to use 
Kirkin. Yeah, okay. yep. <laughs> Kirkin, so that the business analysts are able to read it and figure out what's going on in the test if the client asks. Well, there's one person in the world interested in this, and I think it's me. So, uh, <laughs> it's your thing? Yeah, I just, I'm, no, just I feel like if you can get a team to buy in, yeah, then you can really, you can just have well-tested code, yeah. which doesn't sound as, like, fun or enticing. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been hard. I feel like my experience is it's hard sometimes to get people to buy into it, but I guess that's anything with, with work sometimes. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so let's... Let's go in chronological order. Okay. So, um, you you're you're kind of writing tests, uh, automation testing, and then how did you it, sort of along the way you must have learned backend development skills? So kind of a little bit. So um, I went into automation testing, and then I went onto the business side, kind of like a management uh, business analyst role. Um, and then I went back into um, data integration. Or I started my first client as a data integration engineer, mm-hmm. and so that's where I kind of started to dive into the into the back end side of things, and I quite enjoyed it. And then so that's when I ended up leaving uh, my first company to go to CrowdScout um, mm-hmm. as a full time back end engineer. But CrowdScout is my first back end full time position. And I said that was my only boring question, but I actually have another <laughs> written All down. boring questions. <laughs> really? Thank God. Um, so, wh- like, at CrowdScout, I, ha- I have kind of two questions I wanted to ask you, which is, like, what is the current landscape of back-end development? Uh, which you don't have to answer, by the way. No, no, no. Not, not everyone has that, that view. Um, like, how do you how do you move data around? Can you explain so, that in maybe an interesting way since I yeah, couldn't ask it in an interesting way. I don't know if I could <laughs> answer it interestingly, but okay. uh, it's kind of a two-part question. So um, CrowdScout, we have um, ingestion from outside sources. So that could be our clients importing Excel files, or <coughs> it could be outside sources such as MailChimp or Eventbrite or um, other sources like that that mm-hmm. collect uh, information about clients. Third-party. Yeah, third-party sources. Got it. Um, <laughs> and then once, once the data is in... Um, and we like voter data files and such th- such things like that. Once the data is in, we move it around internally um, through um, API calls and then also uh, queuing services to be able to handle the influx or basically on demand. You can you can have as much um, bandwidth as you need at that moment. Okay, is so, that like uh, dare I say big data like Kafka or yeah, Apache? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's that. Exactly Kafka. Okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. I actually knew that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good job. My company, we're, we're, we're transitioning to Kafka, but nice. a lot of our stuff just for, um, not that you asked. But, no, I want to know. <laughs> but, but like what, what, we're, what I feel like we are at and a lot of people are working on is just regular old like regu- um, kind of relational databases, nice. which yeah. as you yep. are so eloquently put, don't have that kind of availability on yeah, demand. exactly. That's cool. Yeah, Good I, for love you guys. I love it. I love <laughs> it. You guys moving around. Yeah, it's surprisingly a complex system, but I enjoy it every day. My team's great um, to be able to um, teach me things all the time on the on the fly and stuff yeah. like that. So it's fun. Never a dull day. Yeah, I mean, did you want to plug the culture a little bit? I mean, you you were sure. telling me before it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Get some brownie points, maybe. <laughs> You're saying totally. it's, yeah. Honestly, it's it's. it's I couldn't ask for more. Like my team is um, very diverse. It's actually, I want to say at this moment, more women developers than male developers at the company. Wonderful. Um, and everybody's incredibly tel- intelligent and willing to share their knowledge. Like I've been on other teams where people want to hoard the knowledge, mm-hmm. um, but everybody's 
always willing to share and they realize the benefit of that. So when people hoard the information, yeah, they become more valuable technically to the company, but they're actually holding the team back as a whole. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad to have a supportive and fun. I actually hang out with them on Fridays, so that, that should tell you something. That's, that's weird. <laughs> I'm I don't get it. My coworkers. <laughs> was, was, um, so was diversity uh, one of the reasons you chose Totally. That? The, the only, or the, the no, no, no shade, no bad stuff, but the initial reason why CrowdScout caught my eye was there was a black woman on the, on the advertisement and I was like oh my god like what is this company and I clicked it <laughs> and you were like <laughs> yeah there's like, representation yeah there's here. representation yeah here. right right um so that's what originally caught my eye to be able to uh apply to CrowdScout so, awesome yeah um and you so I first met you face to face you got technologist of the year yep. at technically awards yep um and you don't seem like one to give yourself praise, but I, I, I'm going to ask you to talk about that. And I think you had another uh, power, oh, 40 yeah, power? Oh, uh, top 40 power women of DC or something like that. That's so yeah. exciting. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty excited. I wasn't expecting it at all. But, of course, I was excited to receive it. Um, and most of that was for my work with uh, Black Coat Collective. Which um, we're getting to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. Um but yeah, and I think just being involved in the community and stuff like that, a lot of times you don't really think about the small things that you do every day or every week or whatever, but it was kind of nice to notice that, you know, people do notice and people do appreciate it and take note of it. This is a, this is a cringy thing to say, but I think I knew your Twitter before I actually <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. Um, that was, sorry. That was no, painful, but <laughs> not at all. true admission. When, did you, when did you join, by the way? And like, how did you, so how do you see uh, social media as a, as a vector for like development stuff? Because that's how I use it, yeah, actually. Yeah, exactly. Um, I haven't had a Twitter for more than I want to say like five months or something like that. So <laughs> not, not long at all. Um, but I, I realized what you just said, being able to not only connect with people that are in the development world, but, you know, helpful articles and stuff like that and getting your name out there and meeting people and stuff like that. Twitter is essential, I feel like. Yeah. And originally I got on there for Black Coat Collective because we started our Twitter there. Right. Um, and I was like, well, I probably should make one for myself. And I, I love it. Some some visibility. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, I have you been like lured into trying to break CAPTCHA or like build a blockchain yet from articles that you found shared on there? I actually do have some like star that I keep saying I'm going to do on the weekends. Right. I, I, it's actually one of them is build a blockchain and I just haven't gotten a chance to it, but they'll suck you in. All right. So one one more one more kind of joking subject and then we'll get serious about that. representation, <laughs> um, uh, which is, is there such thing as a as a like uh, full stack developer? Does that actually exist? I They say they do, um, <laughs> but... Actually, yeah, I'll, I'll say they do, but I would say even the full stack developers that I know typically specialize in one over another. So um, I think that is beneficial, even if you technically call it, like as a back end engineer, I think it's cool that I can dabble in the front end a tiny bit. Not anything too crazy, but enough to be dangerous. Um, Good phrase. So <laughs> so that's what that's what I believe. You're in. hired. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay, so um, would you mind talking a little bit about what led you to start the Black Code Collective? And um, yeah, that's... Of course. Um, originally, I started Black Code Collective because um, I was having like a rough, rough day at work. And uh, as the only minority on the team at the time, I was saying like, oh, it'd be great to have like, you know, a group of developers of color to be able to vent to or get advice from. Um, because while other people may be able to give us advice and help us, 
our experiences may be a little bit different than theirs a lot of times. Totally. Um, so I talked to another black engineer that I knew, and uh, she was like, that's crazy. Another guy that I know had said the same thing this past weekend. And so she actually brought us together, and we just decided to do it from there. But the funny thing is that we didn't think there were going to be that many black engineers in D.C. We were like, we'll, <laughs> really? just go, we'll just go for quality over quantity. But now we're almost at 900 members. Um, still quality. I'm yeah, still so, so, yeah. so quality, still so quality for sure. <laughs> but um, it's been fantastic. I've met a lot of people that I probably wouldn't have met otherwise. Um, and I think other members would say the same. Uh, so you had, what's your co-founder's name? Um, so we have Lugenia Bailey. We have uh, Malik Diara. We have uh, Stefan Harris and Emmanuel Apau. And they're all still involved in the area? Yes. Cool. Yes. And you guys didn't know one another? No. So we actually all used to work at the same company with the exception of Stefan. So uh, Lugenia met Stefan at Code and Coffee. Oh, yeah. And so he was he was having the same complaint that I was having. And so he, he was looped into the bunch. Yeah. Like, where do we, these specific experiences, yeah. where, do we, yeah, where, do we, where do we take this? So, um, so we talked a little bit about this, but how do you strike a balance between creating a kind of safe refuge for developers of cover, color, cover, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, putting members in opportunities, right? Yeah. Because you're also, um, well, here's my assumption. You can correct it. You're also trying to to leverage that group and network mm-hmm. to getting people into into yeah. better places and maybe even having an uptick in, in representation in this field. Yeah. So basically, we kind of adopt a, uh, if you build it, they will come type mentality. Um, so basically, like through our Slack and through our newsletter and through our meetings, um, we post job postings and we allow people to say if their companies are hiring and also provide feedback um, as a developer of color because, you know, there's Glassdoor and stuff like that. But if you tell somebody in Black Coat Collective, like, oh, I'm thinking of applying to this place and somebody else has worked there, and they can say like, oh, that wasn't a conducive environment for minorities. So you probably shouldn't want to work there, but you can still try it. Right. So being able to provide that feedback. Um, but basically, we we just provide a platform for people to tell other people about the, the jobs instead of directly um, putting people in those positions. Unless they're one of our sponsors, then we directly put them in our um, newsletter and stuff like that. Yeah. But, and that's that sort of serves as that um, outer membrane, right? Yeah. To kind of collect stuff. Yep. It's a big cultural moment right now for, um, like that sort of things going from word of mouth, word of mouth to a little bit more formal. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, uh, content warning, but you know, Me Too, for mm-hmm. instance, was started by a lot of people who were saying, "Hey, look, look, don't go to this and this that director, right?" And it's sort of this. Um, people hear things type yeah. of stuff. And now it's actually being put forward so that people really can use that resource. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. No, no worries. <laughs> yeah. That was a good point. Yeah. Um, so how do you foster collaboration at the Black Code Collective? It's kind of the same thing as with the jobs. Um, just kind of build it and they will come. So we have um, normally about a monthly hackathon where everybody gets together and brings their own personal projects to be able to talk um, about what they're working on. And sometimes people are like, oh, I like that idea. Like, do you need some help on it? And they'll pair up that way. Um, or either through our Slack channel, people will, will right. kind of shout out the ideas that they're working on or issues they may be having to be able to get help help with that as well it's been a year and a half as there has as there like this sounds like an incubator has there been any like crazy stuff coming out of not there? not yet but we're talking about um in the coming year doing um like a big hackathon idea so that's in the works right now for us so hopefully we can like build something cool for for hacktoberfest Hacktober. <laughs> you caught me off guard with that sorry <laughs> so, so um 
uh, Black Code Collective, do you do you see it as having a direct or even an indirect role in combating underrepresentation in deck? Do, I feel like I kind of asked you that already. No, no, but, I get you. Like it's a space I, for developers of cover, yeah. color. But I feel like, <laughs> God. But in addition, I mean, it seems like it actually is going to generate better a better industry in at least the area i i hope so um and we kind of do that indirectly so we have some high school students now that come to black code collective and so with that it's for them to be able to see people that are in positions um, that they may want to be in in the next couple of years and feel empowered to be able to do that even though currently in their personal lives they may not know anyone that's that's an engineer and also be able to ask questions to be able to set themselves up for success and then also educate, like the boot camp, like mm-hmm. I would mention earlier, being able to educate people so that they can do the right things to be able to successfully transition careers into tech. And um, pretty much advice in general, I feel, is, that is our like big big bread and butter. Yeah. Just being able to interact with people that have similar experiences from you can go a long way. That's so cool. Um, so I was going to ask you about just equity in tech in general. Mm-hmm. It seemed like you had some ideas on it. Because <laughs> um, I don't want to put you on the spot. I've been So I've been like a little bit into Alan Pau's book, which is called Reset. Have you heard of that? I haven't heard of it. It's it's essentially the – she had a, a discrimina- discrimination lawsuit, and it sort of brought forth unwittingly, I think, almost um, a lot of these problems that are being brought to light in Silicon Valley okay. um, with underrepresentation. Um, and so she's starting a, a venture capital group to uh, improve inclusion in tech. Nice. And I guess the question, that's not a question I know. No, no. Um, <clears throat> I guess the question is like, obviously there's no one solution, but do you think that those sort of things um, in concert with other kind of mechanisms can can bring us about some of this change that that we're hoping to see? I think that it actually could. I think that uh, starting with the venture capitalist is a good good place to start because people, companies, especially small ones, want and need money to be able to to thrive. So they'll probably be likely to adhere to whatever the venture capitalists are saying. But I would caveat that by saying that it needs to be an ongoing effort to keep these places welcoming and diverse. And so it's not like you're creating almost like a quota game for these companies Yeah. Um, by saying like, okay, for me to invest in your company, you need X, Y, and Z. And they do that. But then, you know, the people, the women, people of color get there, LGBTQ folks get there, and it's not really welcoming. Yeah. So I think that uh, they can make a difference, but just really, really um, long-term emphasis on that would be great. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. Both of that. Like, basically, this can't be a flavor of the month. Yeah. And that VC is kind of it allows you to actually go to the source. Yeah. Right. Um, do you have any entrepreneur? This is a dumb question. There's 900 people, but do you have entrepreneurs with 900 people? I'm assuming. Yeah, yes. <laughs> we do have some. <laughs> um, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, I probably, I can't honestly name most of them off the top of my head. My favorite one right now is called The Cut. And so it's a place for, um, people to find hairstylists and barbers within the community and be able to review them. I've heard of that. And yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, so if you haven't heard of the cut, I would definitely suggest you check it out. It's a mobile app, right? Yep. It's a mobile app. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so are you are you up for this isn't like a lightning round. Usually. But like a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um are, do you have time to read non-technical stuff in your free time? I do. Um, right now, me and some of my closest friends from UVA are starting a book club starting like today. Oh, no. <laughs> Actually just ordered the book on Amazon because I'm always late for stuff like that. But um, the book is called Small Little Things. Um, I can't remember who the author is right now, um, but it's supposed to be a great book. Yeah, I, I, 
the book club concept scares me. Yeah. Because I would be the person who didn't read it all the way. Exactly. <laughs> Luckily, they're my closest friends, so at the very least, it'll be an excuse to get brunch and, and uh, right. some mimosas. Will you be the person who read everything? Or I you probably be... will be. Okay, that's good to know. Hopefully. What, what was the first book you said? Um, Small Little Things. And that's, that's a, just a novel? Yeah, it's just a novel. I can't remember... I'm blank. What Jody Polcott or something like that? I can't remember the author right now. Cool. Um, what's your go-to coding background music? Honestly, I get so easily distracted in um, open concept offices that I typically just put on some white noise. Yeah. And just block it all out. Yeah, it's great because I love I love music. So I'll be in the middle of programming and like a good song will come on and completely distract me. Yeah. I'll either have to listen to it or if it's, if it's a bad song, I'll have to skip it and it just gets really out of hand. I've I've not broken that habit. I'm worse with podcasts. <laughs> oh, oh I, would, oh, I used to do that. Um, I just get too distracted and yeah. I'm like engulfed in it for a second. I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? And then, um, do you get pulled in, This is really random, but no. do you get pulled into a lot of meetings? No, thank goodness. Yeah. That's one thing that I'm really happy about with CrowdScout as well. We do not have a lot of meetings. Yeah. It's beautiful. And you, because it's sort of difficult to get um, into deep problems yeah. when, when it's, uh, you can focus on them in a fractured way. Totally. Yeah. And so that was like, actually, there was like a time period. I can't remember why we were having more meetings than usual. And it wasn't even a lot. I was just spoiled by not having meetings for a while. But we decided that if we must have meetings, they must be chunked. So it's like, okay, it's not like you have a meeting from 9 to 9.30 and then you have another one at 10. And then, you know, make sure that you chunk them together so that you are able to better utilize your time. Yeah. <laughs> I, everyone listening is very envy. <laughs> very envious. <laughs> Um, tabs or spaces? Tabs, for sure. <laughs> Good. Thank God. Because I was like, if you said spaces, I just no. don't know if we can continue. <laughs> just invalidate everything I just said. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know if I believe you. Cut. Well, so they did a, um, they did a data analysis of GitHub, I think. Uh, the, the repos, or no, sorry. What's the one where basically I learned all of my coding skills from where you check, you Google what the problem is. and it Oh, tells Stack Overflow? Stack Overflow. Yeah, that's the, that's the winner. <laughs> so they just introduced like a um, data analytics kind of marketing part of it. And they were saying that people who are in, who use spaces get higher salaries. Wow. I know. So, wow. Sell your soul. What's about? It's, it's obviously just noise. But like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's very evil. <laughs> Um, and also, if the listeners don't know what we're talking about, uh, it's – can you – do you want to give yeah. it to them? Yeah. So, like, some people, when you're indenting your code, you actually use spaces um, to, to do that, but that can get incredibly wild. So uh, the rest of us use tabs so that, you know, the tab is equal to um, four or five spaces so that you just hit tab and move over to make it a more consistent format. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Python, overrated or underrated? Um, I quite enjoy it. So I'm, I'm – Mm. let's just say I don't want to say over or under perfect rated you're just going okay <laughs> not a great answer I'm it's all right. that, it, it has a purpose yeah uh, what's the worst legacy code you've encountered I feel like we kind of talked about that I would I, I would say the the um, one that I mentioned with the terrible uh, test coverage I normally feel like it's a bad sign when a when a platform or a code base doesn't have good code coverage and it, and it was right why are there so many PHP haters I would say because it is a very easy language to pick up. In the beginning, a lot of 
beginner developers picked it up to be able to build those flashy front-end websites that we used to see, WordPress, etc., and didn't follow any coding practice with it. And so when other developers came to pick it up, it just looked like spaghetti code, and they hated it, and they just blamed PHP. Um, at CrowdScout, <laughs> we don't use um, PHP for front-end. We use JavaScript, but in the back-end, we use it, coupled with Laravel framework. And it's actually quite enjoyable. I haven't had any problems. Um, we're big on adhering to best practices and stuff like that, PRs. And uh, I love PHP, so shout out to the haters. It's probably because you're rigorous about testing. Maybe, that's it. I feel like <laughs> that explains a lot. That could be it. Also, I can't wait to Google Lavelle framework. Yeah, I've it's good. That. That's good. <laughs> um, who do you look up to professionally? I'd have to say one of my close friends, uh, Wynn Vandevanter. Uh, he's more senior than I am, but uh, he's always there to give me some good advice. And he has an incredible um, hunger for always new technical knowledge. So he keeps me on my toes with, with everything new to be able to look up. And um, I also plan to pivot into uh, architecture eventually. Oh, yeah? Um, because I feel like with uh, you know data becoming increasingly more important to businesses, mm-hmm. um, architecture will become even more important um automation and stuff like that you know job security so uh he's a data i mean he's a software architect so i'm hoping to continue to learn some more from him about that as well that's really cool yeah that's good to have a i mean good mentors that seems like you're a little bit of your bread and butter yeah, now totally you, you've kind of i don't know if you meant it to be that way but yeah it, that's a good way to put it i agree yeah uh okay so i'm gonna say best or and or worst career advice you've ever received I'd say the best career advice I ever had was speak up. Um, originally, when I first started my job um, or my career in general, I was afraid to say things. I would, or if I did say something, I'd be like, "Oh, well, maybe we could implement it this way, possibly." Like super timid. Hmm. But a lot of times, my manager was telling me I had great ideas. But when you say it that way, people are less likely to to listen. So just say that I think that it would be best if we implemented it this way for X, Y, and Z reason, and just have confidence in that. And the worst advice I ever received was to stay at a job that I wasn't happy with. Ooh, that's really bad advice. (laughs) So uh, we're wrapping up. Less than one minute left. First of all, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Any advice of your own? Uh, Be bold. Be bold. Believe in yourself and you can do it. Um, Never let people's doubt steer you away from your dreams. Awesome. Thank you so much, Taylor. Of course. Thank you for having me. We're actually handshaking. (laughs) Handshake, handshake. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.